Hearts of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh. Fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand.
my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy ever ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee, may I still thy goodness prove, while the hope of endless glory fills my heart with joy and love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, may the I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee, never leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. uneven ways, but if my Savior calls me to that sweet home on high, I'll live with him forever in glory by and by. Oh yes, I'll live in glory, live in glory by and by. I'll tell him 
sing of storytell of stare and high. There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to die. die. Oh yes, I'll live in glory, glory by and by. I want to be your service along this pilgrim way and lead the lost to Jesus as fervently I pray. As day by day I travel, I'll keep him ever nigh And live with him forever in glory by and by Oh yes, I'll live in glory, living by and by I'll tell and sing a story, tell a story, say oh, I There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to, more to die Oh yes, I'll live in glory, glory by and by The end I know Nearing by faith, I look away to yonder old supernal, the land of endless day. I'll cling to him forever and look beyond the sky and spend the endless stages in glory by and by. Oh, yes, I live in glory, living by and by. I'll tell and sing the story, tell of stay on high. There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to, more to die. Oh, yes, I live in glory, glory by and Good morning. Welcome to our Wednesday morning Bible study. I'm Clayton Wilford, the pastor here at Joy Church in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Blessings to you. Uh, I'm glad that you could join us. It has been a wonderful and certainly fascinating and edifying study in the book of Revelation. And uh, today we are going to be doing a little review, as we always have, and get the brain going. And then we will... um, get into, chap- we'll do chapter 10, and we're going to start 11. I thought we could be able, we could do this all in one shot, but there's just too much to go through. Uh, so we'll do chapter 10, and we'll see how far we get into chapter 11 today. Uh, before uh, we get any further, just a couple of things. If there are any audio issues uh, that you, that you, are getting right the audio just stops for whatever reason uh, please put it in a comment or send me a text 
uh, if you have my phone number. I don't check emails during this. It's way too much. And uh, even though you just see me, um, uh, it's a little bit more complicated. I've got three monitors here. I've got to look at the software, all sorts of stuff. Uh, on top of all of that, by the way, my computer has been having issues. And um, so I'm praying that just everything works out fine this morning. But uh, if there's audio or, or even uh, the video cuts out for whatever reason, just let me know and I'll see what I can do to adjust. There might not be anything I can do, but I'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, let's have our time of prayer. Gracious God, holy God, almighty Father, all praise and honor and glory is to you. From the beginning of creation to the very end, you are sovereign over all things. You have declared all things, and all things you declare come to pass. So fill us with your word this morning. Fill us deeply with the assurance of your promises, your word, the promises that we have in Christ Jesus, that we need not be afraid, but follow you no matter where you lead us. I pray also for the technology this morning that it continues and works uninterrupted. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Glad that you could join us here. Uh, let's do a little bit of warm-up, a little bit of review, okay? So, we have been working on the breaking of the seals. So, remember, there's the scroll, and it is uh, written on front and back. It has seven seals, seven being a complete number. This is God's plan. Uh, this is God's entire plan, including his judgment and his wrath. So there's a breaking of the seals, and I'm just going to go full screen so you can see here. The first six seals of Revelation, there was the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. Then there were martyrs crying out, and then celestial signs. That was breaking of the sixth seal. And then there's a pause, right? There's a pause actually before the breaking of the seventh seal. And this pause really uh, gives comfort to all because it talks about those who are sealed by the blood of the Lamb have God's name written on their forehead. They need not fear. All right, so we've got the breaking of the sixth seal. And before the seventh seal, there's a pause. And we're going to find that also before the sounding of the seventh trumpet. But after the pause comes the breaking of the seventh seal. And on the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets. And we've gone through uh, all of the trumpets except for the seventh trumpet so far. And I'm going to go large screen here for a moment again. There's a seven trumpets and seven bowls. And we, we talked about this, how there's a parallel between the two. And the first four really focus on uh, harming the wicked in their physical being. Then the last three, the ones in the yellow, bring spiritual anguish. Hell is let loose. But you can also see that there is a pause before the seventh trumpet. So there's a parallel, right? There's a pause before the breaking of the seventh seal. There's a pause before the sounding of the seventh trumpet trumpet. And so what we're seeing in all of this, and I know we use the, the music of Bolero beforehand, the, the music of Bolero about that rhythm and uh, the repetition over and over and getting greater. So here's another way to talk about it. We see a simultaneous and successive unfolding of God's plan that all point to the victory in Jesus. Okay, 
So if you are doing your sheet, by the way, I believe this is on your sheets for some fill in the blanks. We see a simultaneous and successive unfolding of God's plan. Remember, think Bolero, that music unfolding, unfolding, that all point to the victory in Jesus. And at each unfolding then, Satan's defeat becomes clearer. Okay, so that's the rhythm and another way to take a look at the rhythm of what's happening. So, last week, we covered the fifth and sixth trumpets, hell being let loose. And just briefly, uh, there were the locust, which is really, yeah, right? You, you don't even like looking at that. It's a type of demon, really. And then also the uh, riders on the horses, but the horses... Uh, face of lion and the serpent, uh, the tail of a serpent. So these are demonic actions that God, in His sovereignty, is letting loose. Okay, and now, now we come to the pause here before the seventh trumpet. So the seventh seal has been broken. Six trumpets have played so far. And now there's a pause before we get to the seventh trumpet, really the final woe. Okay, so here we are, Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face like, was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring when he called out the seven thunders sounded. Okay, there's imagery here in Revelation that I like to at least look for some pictures that I think are a good representation. And so here is one picture, and I'm going to go full screen so you can see it. So there's the mighty angel coming down, uh, cloud uh, wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head, face like a sun, um, and his legs like pillars of fire. And he's standing on both the land and the sea. And he's calling out, roaring, like a, in a loud, loud voice. So I think this is actually a good representation of the angel. Uh, there's no mention of wings. I mean, everybody wants to add wings to the representation uh, of an angel. Uh, wings are not mandatory by any means. The seraphim, the cherubim, the four creatures, they have wings. But angels aren't necessarily designated with wings. But I thought overall that was a good representation, a good picture, if you will, of this angel. So there's a couple things about this angel. And if you're using the uh, handout, which again is on our website under the Bible, uh, Bible study page in Revelation and handouts, I, I've been doing a handout for all of the um, all of our studies. So notes, if you will. Okay, so he's wrapped in a cloud. Uh, by the way, this would recall the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I don't think this is Christ at all. I think this is truly uh, simply an angel. Uh, but it talks, the you know, clouds uh, are about the majesty, uh, the glory of God. So you have the glory of God present. There's a rainbow over his head. This would recall God's covenant. So there's of the earth through uh, rain, right? So there's still the covenant there, although there is certainly more destruction and woe to come, but not from, not, not from rain, not from water. And also, this angel has uh, legs on both land and sea, talking about the universal significance. So when we talk about the earth, we talk about all the land and the sea, right? That means everything included on the earth, a universal significance for the earth. 
So this is the angel coming here. And it says this, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Okay. So John heard, right? Heard what the thunders actually said. And there was a voice from heaven, not from an angel, not from the angel, but from, it would seem, God himself, that you don't get to write this down. So God allowed John to hear it, but not to write it down. So thunder, okay? There's, there's, there's so many Old Testament references here in Revelation, and we're going to actually read some at length uh, in this particular study. But you have thunder. It's often associated with God's voice. Even at, John, at Jesus' baptism, right? There was a, a voice from heaven. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And uh, some heard the word. Some thought it was thunder. So seven, again, talks about complete. So I think this is symbolic language talking about the God's voice, right? The voice of God. Because remember, it wasn't just sound like thunder, but it was actually something that was recognizable. John was going to write it down. So it's not just noise, but actually words. Now, here's the question. Everybody has this question. What were the words spoken? And the answer is, I don't know. We're not told. So that's been withheld from us. You can speculate all that you want, have fun, gather a couple people, have some coffee, and uh, and speculate all that you want, but I don't think you're going to find the answer because God did not give the answer in this regard. Okay? So, let's continue on here. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. You talk about a dramatic moment here in Revelation. Uh, I, I mean, this is high drama, if you will, and I, I don't mean that to to diminish what's happening. I mean, it's just hard to imagine. So you've got this angel holding up a scroll, remember the picture, and really swearing by God's own name, his own self, right? By him who lives forever and ever, by God himself. Now, this is quite the thing to actually swear by God himself or to take an oath by God himself. So let's take a look at that. Um, sorry, I got ahead a little bit, but but in that day, but it, okay, I'll read it again. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and was what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay but in but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Okay, so you hear an oath or swearing by God. This is, this is no small thing. of sin, you know, for us, because it's waffle, right? So the seventh trumpet 
what is about to take place will be fulfilled. All right, so I just got a text. The sound is cutting in and out. All right. Thanks, Lee. Let me know if that's uh, if that has taken care of it. I have no idea why this why the audio is cutting in and out. Is that better now? So let me know if that's better now. I really don't know. Because I, I see it on here, so it's got to be a streaming thing. Sound, sound is gone. Sound is gone? Okay, fine now. All right. I, so, folks, uh, thank you for letting me know. I have no idea what's going on because it's monitoring it here. Back again. All right. Keep praying. Keep praying that the devil has no hold here. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, what is being pronounced is under God's full authority, and it will be fulfilled. So we take a look at Isaiah chapter 55 and Hebrews chapter 6 regarding God's word. I'm going to go full screen here so it's easier for you to read. Isaiah 55, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the very in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will do what it says. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, this is pretty interesting, talking about making an oath here. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is the final, final for confirmation. Uh, for when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So, God has made a promise, and the angel is making this promise on God's name. There is no higher authority. It shall come to pass. Okay, so this is this dramatic moment. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Okay. So there's a lot in here, and we, we're actually going to cross-reference Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through verse, chapter 3, verse 11. I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'm going to actually start with Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, and I will go simply larger here so you can read along with me. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So he is supposed to actually eat it, right, and then speak to prophesy God's word. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. 
Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them, for you are not sent to a people of foreign language and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Now, isn't that a great phrase, right? A far hard forehead. Are you not hard-headed, but a thick skull, right? Behold... I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their forehead. So he gives that fortitude to speak to them. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles, to your people and speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. So this is what happened in Ezekiel. He's given a scroll to eat God's own words and they are both sweet and bitter. They sour the stomach, if you will. Uh, and isn't it interesting that he is supposed to speak to the people even if they are unrepentant? I mean, this shows a, a, a graciousness of God, doesn't it? That he will say, I will speak to you even if you're unwilling to listen. I will still proclaim. And really, we are all then without excuse, aren't we? We are all without excuse. And this is really rich. Okay, so, and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter. So just repeating that. And so here's the question I have for you is, why was the scroll both sweet and bitter? I mean, this is something to think about, right? Huh. Ezekiel ate it. It was sweet as honey, but it would really sour, upset his stomach. And here John is going to eat a scroll, and it was both sweet and bitter. So when you ponder this, he's given God's word, right? God's word to speak. And this word is both sweet and bitter. So what are your thoughts about that? I'd be curious what you're thinking. Sweet and bitter. And I'm hoping that uh, the sound is still good. I haven't seen anything else. So sweet and bitter. Well, if you think about it, it is sweet because it is the word of God, right? God's word is sweet, but it is bitter because it also proclaims God's judgment. So if you think about it, and this is a fill-in-the-blank spaces, really, uh, on your sheet if you're working that through. God's word is sweet. How is God's word sweet? Well, The gospel itself is very, very sweet to our ears. It speaks of of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Rose writes, uh, oh yeah, we're going to get to this, Rose. Good, good Good point. We are not only to eat, but to spew back out to others to tell the truth as we know it. Yeah, um, and that's definitely going to come into play here. God's word is bitter because it also proclaims the law. And the law uh, proclaims judgment, there's wrath, there is eternal suffering. So we have both the gospel and the law, and one is sweet and one is bitter. 
But so here's the question. Uh, and Judy writes, sweet is God's grace and bitter is God's judgment. Man, that is really well said, Judy B. 100 points for you on that one. Points are fun to have, but you, you can't cash them in. I mean, maybe I should de- get a deal with bashes. You can cash in your Bible study points. But sweet is God's grace and bitter is God's judgment. So why do so many people, including the church, right, pastors, leaders, members, reject even mentioning the bitter? Why do so many people, including the church, pastors, leaders, and members, reject even mentioning the bitter? Joel Osteen comes to mind. He, he, he will not talk about sin. He will not really talk about repentance. All of that. Uh, because it puts people off. They don't like it. But there's a lot of people, right? Think about it. A lot of churches, leaders, members, they don't want to talk about the hard stuff. Because it does speak to our hearts. It does pound on our thick skulls, our thick forehead, doesn't it? It says, repent. But if you are just preaching sweetness, if you are just preaching the gospel without the law, uh, the gospel has no effect. So uh, Rose writes, humans do not like judgment or wrath. Yeah, it's very simple. We don't like judgment or wrath, do we? So, It has to be both. All of God's word has to be preached. So I'm going to do this a little larger here for a moment. Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1700s, a preacher, he preached a very famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How's that for a title, right? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you have to know that this sermon was instrumental in the first great awakening, the first great revival in America. The preaching of this sermon was instrumental in revival. And let me, let me just tell you how it began. So, His text that he's using is this from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Their foot shall slide in due time. And this is how he began his sermon. We know this because he did manuscript form. In this verse is threatened the vengeance of God on the wicked, unbelieving Israelites who were God's visible people and who lived under the means of grace, but who, notwithstanding all God's wonderful works towards them, remained void of counsel, having no understanding in them. How's that for starting off a sermon? In this verse, is threatened the vengeance of God on the wicked, unbelieving. And he goes on from there. Now, this sermon was at least an hour long, if not longer. And the effect it had on people through the power of the Holy Spirit There were people who broke down, and they cried, and they were struck to the heart. There were also people who were actually shouted and filled with joy. I mean, this was an an emotional time for people. And thousands, tens of thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it came from preaching the law and pointing them to Christ Jesus, the gospel. See, you got to be able to preach both, not just one or the other. Okay. Verse 11. And, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and kings and languages. So the prophecy is going to continue forward. 
really for the rest of the book. That's what he's covering. Now, that ends chapter 10. I would like to begin chapter 11 because there's a lot in there, okay? So, chapter 11, two witnesses. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations that they would trample the holy city for 42 months. Okay, so let's take a look at this. What's the significance of measuring the inside of the temple, not measuring the outside? All right, it's kind of odd, right? Measure the inside, not the outside. So those inside and worshiping at the altar, they're the true believers. They are sealed by God. So remember, it's not just the 144,000. This would be all who are sealed by God. And those who are outside are set apart for destruction. So there are measurements here, uh, but I don't think we are limited by how many people could fit within that one measurement. So also just notice throughout the Bible that God often gives very specific measurements. I mean, if you take a look in Exodus, in Exodus, what you have is the, the, all the plans for making of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, everything else that would go with it, the holy place, the holy of holies. He gave very, very specific measurements. He also has very specific measurements um, in heaven as well. We find this at the end of, end of Revelation. Also, think about it. God gave a particular boat builder. Oh, let's see, Noah. He gave Noah a particular, very particular measurements and how everything was to be built. So why, what does that say about God's nature? What does that say about God's nature? Well, you could say that measurement signifies God's knowledge and care. If he knows everything, sees everything. He knows what is needed. So God's not, this is my comment, God is not not sloppy or last minutes. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I got a typo in my own comment here. Apparently I am sloppy, but here we go. God is not sloppy or last minute in anything that he does. That's just funny. There is a reason and meaning behind and within everything that he does. Do we understand it all? No, but there is a reason for it all. I just have to laugh. That's so funny. I've got a typo in there. I am thankful for God. God does not make typos. That would be, I should put that on my door, right? (laughs) My pastor's office. Okay. So let's get into this part here. And I will grant authority. See, I just want to see if I've got anything else. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses that they will prophesy for 1,000 to... Yeah, it is hilarious timing, isn't it, Lee? For 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Oh, it's hard to be serious now here. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Okay, so let's get into this a little bit. So, 1,260 days equals 42 months. All right? Now, remember, we have these different views that we have talked about here. The preterists, who believe that everything has already been fulfilled, they would say this was a period of Jewish war against Rome uh, between 66 and 70 A.D., And by the way, 42 months, three and a half years. The historists would say one day equals one year. So 1,260 years. And they would say this was the true remnant of the church to the time of the Reformation. That's one view, or two views so far. The futurists would say 
This is a literal three and one half years at the end of the tribulation or to two different periods of that length totaling seven years. The idealist would say it symbolizes the entire church age. Look, this is a tough one to parse out. Uh, Again, I have said I'm not a preterist, uh, and I'm not a historist, uh, really, when it comes to that. I think there are things that certainly can and have applied, but I think there's a broader scope here. So the Lutheran Study Bible puts it this way, and I'm just going to quote two sources here. It's a symbolic period, which appears in various forms in chapter 11 through 13, and uh, often is seen a time and times and half a time, and even three and a half days. So a symbolic number. The Faith, Faith Life Study Bible says both figures define according to traditions from Daniel. So then we go back to Daniel here. The length of the persecution of God's people. This could refer literally to a future tribulation or symbolically to the whole amount of time between Jesus' first and second comings when God's people are under pressure from the nations. I like this particular quote from Robert Mounts. Symbolism. See, I think this is more symbolic than trying to pin down a how many specific months, where does this take place, all of that, could be. But symbolism is not a denial of historicity, but a figurative method of communicating reality. Apocalyptic language, language of revelation, has as one of its basic characteristics the cryptic and symbolic use of words and phrases. So again, if you want to speculate, is this, did this happen in the past? Is this about the ages that we have lived in? Does one day equal one year? You can speculate all that you want. I think it is not as clear as people want to make it clear. And this is, I think, getting uh, lost in the weeds of this particular, uh, particular aspect, trying to define all of this. Okay, so let's go into the two witnesses briefly here. These are the two olive trees, the witnesses, and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. So here we have... And I'll go full screen for you. Uh, an artist's rendition of the two witnesses. So they have lampstands, the two witnesses there. And we are going to cross-reference Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. So I'm going to just read it here. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who was wakened up out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips of each of the lamps that are on top of it. Sorry. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you should become a plain And he shall bring forth the top of the stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. His hands shall also complete it. 
then you will know that the Lord of hosts sent me to you. For whoever is despised the day of the small thing shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line of the hand of Zerubbabel. These are seven These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And I said to him, What are the two olive trees on the right and the left lamp stand? And I said the second, and a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay. So these are two witnesses here. And I need just to check something for a moment. I'm going to pull something up here. Excuse me for just a moment. I'm going to let you just read the screen here. Okay, I just had a cross-reference, something. I just want to make sure I was being accurate. Yep, from Zechariah chapter 4. Just want to make sure I had the right reference there. So these two witnesses. These two witnesses are hard to decide who they are. Uh, Some people say they are symbolic of the overall true church witnesses. Witness. That is the true church, the remnant, the faithful remnant who are proclaiming God, who are proclaiming Christ Jesus, who are not flinching whatsoever from the word, from the prophecy. Some people say that these are two human or actual prophets from God. And some say these are Old Testament prophets prophets such as Elijah and Enoch. And by the way, Elijah and Enoch are the only two who did not taste death. So it is unclear to me who exactly these are. And by the way, some also say Old Testament prophets Moses and Elijah. What is clear, though, is that they are true witnesses of God himself. And this is God-ordained. And what they say and what happens to them is also God-ordained. So those are the two witnesses. Now, uh, just for time's sake, because we've been going for a while here, uh, I'm going to end with this. We're going to pick it up with the witnesses in chapter uh, 11 here. And then we are also going to finish chapter 10 next week. And then that begins also, by the way, the sounding of the seventh trumpet. The imagery, as you can tell, is dense. So I'm trying to take time to work through it with you, for you, so you can kind of get a sense of it. Because if we just kind of zoom through it all, it is so dense that I don't know if any of it would really make sense. So I'm trying to give you bits and pieces, pictures, if you will, along the way. But again, just go back to Bolero. Think about that music again and again, and think about how this is a a revealing of each uh, successive uh, unfolding of God's plan that points to the victory of Jesus and the defeat of Satan. That's really what we're seeing here. All right, let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you that we are sealed by the blood of the Lamb and that we have the assurance through the promises of God given to us and that we need not fear. Help us to be bold witnesses for Christ Jesus during our lifetime here. Increase in us the urgency and the desire to share the gospel, to share both law and gospel with people so that they too 
have that assurance of salvation. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your feedback on this one. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please, please, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Text, email, let me know. God bless you. Thanks. Bye-bye.